Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. We have so many guests on this show making a difference in our lives, making a difference all around the world with the expertise that they bring. And yet so many of you are reaching out to me saying, you want more. It's not enough just what we're putting on these podcast episodes for you. And so I am here to extend a very warm welcome to you to our Difference Maker community where you can join for as little as $5 a month to get all this extra content. Out the gate, you're going to get 30-plus minisodes of exclusive content not available for the regular podcast listeners and an exclusive mini-sode every month, and you'll get exclusive voting power to help us pick podcast topics and more, and that's with our changers tier. There's three different main tiers and then an extra uh, larger tier, but whatever tier that you join at, you will be included in this extra content. And I know that many of you are wanting to go a little bit deeper. And so even though it gets a little wild in there sometimes because of how deep we go, I want you to join us there. This extra content is very special. It means a great deal to me to be a part of this community with you. And I would love to just exchange uh, ideas or perspectives that you have around these different episodes. And that's the place where we do it. So please show up to our Difference Maker community. Give us $5 out of your pocket every month. And I think that you'll have a lot of fun in there because we do. And I would love for you to join us. So go to patreon.com slash a world of difference to join us there. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm Lori Adams-Brown, and this is a podcast for those who are different and want to make a difference. Today on the show, we have an author whose book just released this week and has been selling out everywhere, but he's on the show today to tell us also where we can still find the book, which is really important information. So listen till he tells you at least that part of the episode, but also Kevin has been working in homeless services and advocacy in the Los Angeles area for many years. And as a graduate of Fuller Theological Seminary, he writes on intersections of theology, justice, and equity, and a little bit about pop culture. He was a contributing author for Theology and the Marvel Universe. He's the founder of Theophany, which is a blog and a YouTube channel looking at the intersection of God and movie. And his book that just came out is an, uh, a book about how to solve the homeless crisis together. So it's called Grace Will Lead Us, Grace Can Lead Us Home. And it's all over my Twitter feed. Many of you have probably seen people talking about this incredible book. He's on the show today to talk to us about his latest work, where he's working now in Minneapolis after spending many years in Los Angeles. He's now the housing director for Youth Link Minneapolis, and he'll talk to us a little bit about that, but also about why this book was so important and how we can come together to solve the homeless crisis. Welcome to today's show, Kevin Nye. Hello, Kevin. Such a honor to have you on the show today on the A World of Difference podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks. Thank you for having me. Of course. 
Well, everybody's so excited about your new book and it is currently sold out, which is just insane. Congratulations. And um, I want to give you an opportunity as we start this podcast today to talk about your book. But um, but first, I wanted to get into this question just so people know who you are, who we're speaking with today. Give us a little bit about your background. Who is Kevin Nye? And are you related to Bill Nye the Science Guy? <laughs> The questions that the people want to know. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm Kevin Nye. I grew up uh, in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene denomination, uh, which is a Wesleyan, Wesleyan holiness denomination. Uh, pretty big, but a lot of people still haven't heard of them. Um, they're, they're sort of, they're big in that they're everywhere, but they're sort of small in terms of like footprint in a lot of places. Oh. Um, and yeah, I grew up with a sense of, um, call to ministry that I pursued by going to, uh, the Nazarene university and doing theology and ministry studies, and then following that up with a seminary in, uh, in Southern California at Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, and it was around that time that I, I started to kind of understand whatever sense of call I had was, was widening, um, in ways that the denomination I was part of, um, in some ways was supportive of, in some ways they, they couldn't be. Um, and I eventually kind of found my way into, uh, nonprofit work for an agency that, um, did work directly with people experiencing homelessness. And that was about, six years ago and that sort of became my um yeah became my vocation became my uh my life's work and uh no i am not related to bill nye the science guy <laughs> oh we're <laughs> so disappointed i know, <laughs> I know. Yes. if you want to just cut the interview off now that's fine <laughs> well we'll see we'll see if you redeem yourself after that i'm just kidding um, yes, the Nazarenes are just an incredible denomination of, um, it, we here in California love, um, Tara Beth Leach, although she's gone, she was Paznaz, um, pastor for a long time there in Southern California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've uh, had her on the podcast and read her book. She's just an amazing thought leader around so many issues around the church these days. So the Nazarenes, um, and also just the way the Nazarenes have been so woman pro-woman in terms of ministry and leadership. It means a great deal to me. So thank you for that legacy that you bring into this interview and the work that you do. So let's get into this book. Um, Why did you write this book? And once it becomes available again, why should people read it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I, I've always, I've always been a writer. Um, and have always wanted to write a book in some ways. And so once I, you know, I had my, my theological background, my ministry training, and then I kind of took that aspect of myself and put it into a different vocation uh, with, with homelessness and just really started to see all of these, these intersections. And at the same time started seeing that like the things I was learning, uh, working with people experiencing homelessness um, were just very eye-opening. And I I just kept uh, coming back to the idea that um, the ideas from my theological education about 
you know, who God is, what God is about in the world, what Jesus was up to, who he was, um, really did line up with what were considered are considered best practices uh, in homeless services uh, toward ending homelessness. Um, and a lot of the ways that uh, homelessness can be solved and then the barriers that we run into that prevent us from actually doing it really to me had very like theological roots and implications. Um, and so, yeah, I decided to, to write that book kind of bringing all of me, <laughs> uh, both sides of me, if you will, to, to the, this one work and kind of functioning as a, a translator in many ways between these, these two worlds. Uh, and I should say you, uh, the book has, this is my first interview after the book released. So, um, it's fun to talk about it in that sense, but, uh, it has sold out on, on Amazon and bookshop, but you can still get it, uh, at Barnes and Noble. And I think if you order it through your local bookstore, you can get it. Uh, so not totally sold out just yet. <laughs> That's good news. Yes. Well, definitely. It probably will be sold out soon now that we're going to post this interview soon. <laughs> we'll see, so anyway, we'll by now, by now, we'll see if there's a second printing coming out. But that's really exciting, honestly, to think that a book about addressing the homeless crisis would be selling out in Amazon and, you know, just even a couple different places just gives us great hope that people really are trying to come together around this issue to help solve it. Because here on the A World of Difference podcast, this is something we say all the time. It's not one person with one perspective that's going to help solve the biggest social problems of our day. We really need a lot of brains around this table, a lot of different perspectives for something as large as the homeless crisis. It's it's really going to take a lot of us. So thank you for your contribution with this book. Thank you for just your years of work with those experiencing homelessness. And I mean, I know here in the Bay Area, we have you know, this is a huge crisis, um, an increasing crisis, especially I think with inflation that's kind of at a 40-year high right now. There's just a lot of things contributing. You know, COVID made things quite challenging. And, um, you know, we, we see a lot of homelessness in the, here in the Bay Area, people experiencing that for a variety of reasons you probably are well aware of because you've, you know, been in Southern California too. Our, our weather is pretty favorable toward those um, experiencing homelessness. We don't get snow and that type of thing. We tend to not get the really high, hot temperatures of like Arizona, you know, in the summer as well. So um, we, but we have incredible organizations here in the Bay Area, such as Life Moves is one of the ones that comes to mind. You're doing incredible work around, you know, they'll, they'll take like six months and just make a whole community for people to come and temporarily be housed and they'll stage a whole home for them with plates and sheets and, you know, things they can take with them when they transition on. They have, um, you know, child care for them and teen centers and therapy, all of it that's free because people just, you know, we all need a break sometimes. None of us knows at what point we might need that or something different to help us. We, we just really can't do certain things on our own when the system is really stacked against us. And so, as you have worked with people experiencing homelessness, I really want to hear from you because a lot of people have this question, really, how are we supposed to help? How can we help without hurting people? And I think that's a question a lot of people have. There's that book, When Helping Hurts, right? But um, but how can people help yeah, without hurting, like truly, truly help? Yeah. Well, I think I, I want to talk about it in sort of a 
a macro sense and then a, a smaller sense, right? And so when we talk about homelessness as a larger scale issue, that if, especially in um, places like the Bay Area, New York City, Los Angeles, right? Um, what we we really have to start thinking of it as a housing crisis, um, and that the solution to homelessness is homes, right? It seems so obvious, and yet there are a lot of uh, social and economic forces that try to dissuade us from thinking about it uh, as a housing issue because there is a lot of a lot of money, a lot of profit to be made in housing. Uh, mm-hmm. And in keeping the status quo where housing is unaffordable for a, a large portion of people um, and they're, and maybe barely affordable for a lot of others who see homelessness as obviously something they want to avoid and are therefore paying way more than than they should uh, for for their rent. Um, and I definitely I've always felt a strong uh, sympathy for the Bay Area because they're so you're so landlocked in so many ways from being able to build more housing um, to to try to rectify that. Um, so that's sort of I always want to preface any conversation around helping and or ending homelessness with making sure that we talk about housing because um, it's so easy to get distracted with things like mental illness or um, substance use or, you know, any of these other sort of surrounding factors of homelessness. Um, I, I like to use the language that those things are not causes of homelessness, but they are risk factors for mm. homelessness. Um, those are things that uh, make people's housing less secure uh, and that make their ability to generate income less secure. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it is because housing is inaccessible and unaffordable that people come to experience homelessness. Uh, there are people all around the country who have mental illness, who struggle with substance use, uh, and who have all these other risk factors, but who are still able to sleep indoors every night because of uh, the accessibility of housing, whether that is they have somebody who allows them to to live with them, right? A family member, uh, a friend, or it's because housing is actually affordable that you can struggle with those things and still pay rent. Um, So really one reframing it as a housing issue is so crucial. And then, um, voting like housing is a justice issue, uh, I think is really, really important. Uh, on a micro level, I think that, um, uh, you know, a big question I get asked a lot is, you know, should I give money to the person panhandling? Um, and I, I write a whole section in my book about that because I don't think there is a, a quick and easy answer that's like, yes, you always should because that's what Jesus says we should do or uh, or, but also no, like, I don't want to say, no, you shouldn't because they're going to use it for X, Y, and Z, right? I think that the right answer has a lot to do with your own, your boundaries, your own comfort, um, but being mindful of what sort of uh, myths and stereotypes might be informing your decision, I think is really important. Um, but ultimately, I do, I do believe that 
that we need long-term policy type help and that people do need immediate help, sometimes in the form of cash, sometimes in the form of a pair of socks, sometimes in the form of uh, an emergency shelter, especially in places where the weather can be deadly. Um, Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, I, I don't, I don't like advocating for the building of shelters uh, because often that is done at the expense of building affordable housing. Uh, But at the same time, we, we need a mix of all of it. Um, Earlier, you mentioned that places like Southern California are a little more favorable weather-wise for people experiencing homelessness. Uh, But uh, a statistic I like to mention often to kind of subvert that a little is that every year more unhoused people die from weather exposure Mm -hmm. uh, in LA than in New York City. Wow. And that doesn't make a lot of sense uh, from a weather perspective, but the reason is that New York City has a robust shelter infrastructure, uh, whereas LA is a lot more comfortable because of this idea of Oh, the weather is nice enough. No one's gonna, you know, suffer. Um, that people do. Mm. That's heartbreaking and enlightening. Thank you for raising awareness for us around that because I think that you know this leads into my next question, and you touched a little bit on it, which is we have a lot of myths around homelessness in our society, especially if you come from a family um, where nobody in your family or maybe in your immediate friend group has ever experienced homelessness, then you probably do carry a lot of those myths in your own mind. And um, they probably come to us from our news sources, from just the echo chambers in which we live, even from our own faith-based communities. We are really good, or I should say bad, (laughs) about spreading these myths amongst ourselves. So talk to us about some of those myths and and help us clear those up so we have a more accurate understanding. Yeah. Uh, And it's it's funny you mentioned that these myths circulate in in faith-based communities, and I would say sometimes even more so than outside of them. Um, That's something I make a big point of uh, in the introduction of the book is a particular survey that uh, really shook me in a way that really <laughs> caused me to sit down and start writing this book um, was a statistic that said that uh, Christians are more than twice as likely than non-Christians to attribute poverty to a moral failure rather than to unfortunate circumstances. Wow. Um, yeah, and and so that to me, that's where the whole book and, and the title of grace can lead us home comes from mm-hmm. is that to, to me, that's the opposite of grace, right? This idea yeah. that particular people because of something deserve suffering, deserve homelessness, deserve poverty. Um, grace says the opposite, right? Uh, and so for me, um, that myth is the central myth that I, I think every other myth about homelessness is born out of. Um, the idea that certain people deserve poverty, um, that out of that myth comes, uh, you know, that people just need to get a job, pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, right? That's this idea that 
you know, if you don't, if you're not willing to work, you deserve to be homeless, right? Uh, and that therefore homelessness is a choice that anyone can suddenly unchoose with a little bit of, you know, hard work and gumption. Uh, and that that myth has especially become really troublesome lately um, as we just see criminalization happen all across the country. The entire state of Tennessee has now criminalized uh, sleeping outside except for very specific designated like camping zones. Um, it's happening in LA. LA keeps expanding um, the, the number of corners and streets where you're not allowed to sleep outside to the point that it's now nearly half the city. Um, it's, it's happening everywhere and it's getting, it's getting so bad and it all comes back to this idea that, uh, you know, we have resources and people just aren't using them. So we need to make it harder. We need to make it more uncomfortable, uh, so that people finally make the right quote unquote choice to, to resolve their homelessness. Um, meanwhile, there's not enough shelter beds. There's not enough uh, housing units for all the people who have done the right steps and applied and met with their case managers and done everything they're supposed to do. There's just not enough. It's heartbreaking because I think that, well, first of all, just the fact that in a Christian community, we're worse than the average is just the antithesis, as you almost you mentioned in the beginning, what it means to have a good theology of following Jesus means that you would do good work in terms of helping alleviate those experiencing homelessness. And yet, if the opposite is true, something's very broken in our own, you know, Christendom and our systems, which is really just awful. And so glad that you highlighted it because that means we must be going against the tide if we're going to reverse it. And that takes a lot of work and intentionality. And so we need this book. We need these conversations. So, um, but yes, I think that we're talking in the American context. So we're, um, and you and I both have experience in California, even though you're in Arizona right now. So some things might be similar there, but I know that some of the you know, friends I've had, people have gotten laid off recently with inflation. It's at a 40 year high in our area. And, you know, in the Bay Area in particular, we have the highest property value in the entire United States. So it doesn't take much. If you add on top of that, you know, the mental health crisis we have going on, which you said, you know, is more of a secondary kind of issue that may be that sort of last straw that, that kind of pushes the edge there. But, you know, people have had a year and a half up until a year ago of just having to homeschool their kids, which meant keeping your job and doing a job while you also probably were maybe dealing with some mental health issues around the pandemic that feels like there's a bit of a perfect storm going on for some people right now. And it feels like we really need to call our faith-based communities that even those among us who are listening to this call, whoever we are in the world, um, whether you have a spirituality or you don't, that we need to call ourselves as human beings toward compassion. And that, you know, I think that if any of us have lived as long as, you know, you and I have lived, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm in, I'm in my late 40s. And when you've lived a while and in different places and you've known a lot of people, life doesn't go in a straightforward direction all the time. You can't predict a pandemic's going to hit. In my experience, I couldn't predict a tsunami was going to hit 
and an earthquake in an area I lived in. I've never been able to predict a lot of the coup attempts I've had to live through or how long a civil war would last. Some things are just outside of your control. And so I think calling ourselves as human beings toward compassion means we really need to link arms with one another. But when it comes to this issue, I would say even here in the Bay Area, one of the things I've learned, I have a good friend, Eric Berkowitz, who used to run a thing in San Francisco called the Page Street Center. And he he just he's so in- incredible as a mentor in terms of helping me understand how to interact lovingly toward those that you see on the streets experiencing homelessness. And um, one of the things he's taught me and my husband is just to have conversations, you know, Um, however much time you have with someone, just treat them like a human being, not as someone to be afraid of, or even necessarily pitying isn't going to be helpful, but just they're one human being to another. So I was in, um, I don't know if you've ever been to the SF MoMA in San Francisco, but I was there last week and going to my car and I just parked by this restaurant on the street and there was a man experiencing homelessness just sitting there. And normally because of how Eric Berkowitz has taught me to interact with people, I try to be the one to initiate a conversation because I think they seem invisible to a lot of people. And that's kind of our work to do is to see them. Mm -hmm. But this man really kind was just sitting there on the street corner um, next to the restaurant. And he, uh, he asked me, Hey, what's for dinner? <laughs> Which, cause I was holding this, um, at the SF MoMA, they have a big Diego Rivera mural at the, in the lobby right now, which is really cool. And they had these people selling tortillas with art on them. So it was an imprint of art. And so it wasn't my dinner, but it looked like I was holding food. And so I just ended up showing it to him like, oh, it's actually not food. It is a tortilla, but it's uh, it's art. And so it was like, we just had this fun little interaction. You know, I had to get to my car and get home, but it was just this little moment. And um, that's one of the things that I have had to grow in is helping to see the humanity what are some ways that you found helpful or tips that you could offer us on how to see people around us experiencing homelessness as human beings and learn to have more compassion? Yeah. I mean, that's such a beautiful and and perfect story because like, that's the kind of thing that can happen if you take the time. And and just like you described, you you didn't spend 30 minutes there. It was probably just two to three minutes, you know, and then you had to go and, and nothing terrible happened. <laughs> he wasn't like, oh, no, you have to stay and keep talking to me, right? And and also right. that interaction, like, for both of you was meaningful for the rest of your day, you know? Um, and that's a big piece of what was lost during the pandemic for, uh, for all of us, right, with social interaction. But a lot of us got to do Zoom and got to do, you know, have our little bubbles with, with a couple family and friends and and people experiencing homelessness really didn't have that. And they lost a lot of human interaction. Um, yeah, that, that we need to survive, <laughs> that we need to, to feel human. Um, and I think that a big takeaway from your story from the pandemic is just on an individual level, yeah, creating those little micro interactions, you know, um, I like your idea of initiating conversations so that you're not putting the pressure on them. Um, I, I would also say that for on more of a like church and organizational level, I always recommend um, thinking through. So if you're a church that already has some kind of, you know, ministry or day of the week that you do something with people experiencing homelessness or, or people who are uh, people who are poor, right? that you 
find a way to add more of a relational and communal element to that. Um, so, you know, if your church has a food line, uh, why, why not move from a line to serving people at tables? Um, if you, you know, do a, like a clothing distribution, uh, why not stay open for a couple hours instead of, you know, the 30 minutes and just give people space to, to sit and interact, not just with one another, but with volunteers, um, instead of just having the volunteers in the kitchen, making the food and standing on the other side of the table, what if we all ate together? You know, um, I think churches, churches already have this ingrained, um, culture of community, right? The, the word church comes from the Greek word that means community, right? Uh, but a lot of times when we do our like compassionate ministries, we all of a sudden become very transactional rather than communal. Mm. Um, mm. So I think we just need to, we need to do what we do best uh, in, in these spaces too. Well, yeah, that's really great. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking through some people I know that are doing that so well and, and leaning toward that. And I, um, I hope that we can start to learn together how to do that better and do that more. You know, I know that, um, like you said, during the pandemic, that was a very, especially the early part of it, where it was very locked down here in Santa Clara County, where I live, it was very challenging. And, you know, some of the, those experiencing homelessness, the, like, um, different organizations involved in that, like on the government level, housed people in some of the cheaper motels to try to contain certain things. But it, even that really just isolated people to a different level and a different degree. And even the, um, I helped start something with, along with my husband and a few others at our church called Echo Compassion. And we started to get volunteers who would just be able to deliver things like blankets and sheets and things like that. But the, it was, very transactional because we had to just put it in, you know, um, garbage bags and sit it by the door. Like you wouldn't even meet that person. It's so hard because as you said, as human beings, we need that social interaction. And so I love your thoughts around that. And I'm, I'm sure that as we read your book, people are going to have even better and more ideas to come around the table. Who are some people that you have learned from in this process or maybe organizations that you would highlight that we could also learn from that you see doing things well, or maybe it's churches. Like, are there any resources you could highlight for us as we're trying to dig into more and do better things? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And I, I also just want to say, like, I don't, uh, I, I don't judge any, any church that moved to a more transactional model during the pandemic, because even at the organization that I worked at, which is one of the ones I would highlight, uh, it's called the center in Hollywood. Uh, we always have prided ourselves on, uh, the relational model, but because of COVID, we had to become really transactional and it was hard, but mm -hmm. that's what, that's what was possible. And in a lot of ways, that's what was needed during that time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would highlight the center in Hollywood. Um, I, I've moved from Southern California. I'm now in, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, and I work for an organization now called YouthLink. Um, it's also a great organization that, that does drop-in services and also kind of robust wraparound care as well. Um, 
in terms of churches, I there well, there's an organization that that partners with churches in uh, in Nashville uh, that's called uh, Open Table uh, that I highly recommend. They do a great combination of kind of street outreach and combine it with advocacy uh, in a way that I don't see a lot of. Um, nonprofits, especially getting involved in um, a lot of nonprofits, like to really stay in the services and not so much like um, tell governors and senators how they're making things worse and harming the people that they're trying to serve. Um, and so, I really, really admire their work. Um, and their one of their co-founders, uh, Lindsey Krinks, wrote a great book uh, called "Praying with Our Feet." Um, that people should check out if they want to know kind of more of that side of the work. Um, yeah, I think those are the ones that I would I'd mainly highlight. That's good. Do you have any stories that would be helpful for us to hear and understand about what it could be like to experience homelessness that would help us to have more compassion or even understanding about how we can come alongside and help give people the break that they need? Does anything come to mind? Any people you know, or maybe a story of an organization and how they're doing it well? Yeah. It's hard to pick out just one. You know, my, my book is full of stories that sort of each one kind of highlights a particular aspect or point um, because everyone's story of homelessness is so different. Um, and at the same time, I've never heard a single one that in some way didn't elicit, you know, compassion or empathy from me. And I think that that's something that, you know, this is how stereotypes are broken, uh, is that you meet somebody who's part of a group that you have stereotypes toward, and you hear their story, and it subverts your stereotype. And you have one of two options in that moment. You can say, oh, maybe my stereotypes are wrong. Or you say, oh, this person is an exception. <laughs> um, a lot of times we, we do the latter, um, which then we start to meet other people in that group. And like, oh, they're also an exception. Oh, they're all. And then eventually <laughs> you realize, oh, maybe everyone <laughs> is an yeah. exception. And the stereotype just isn't true. Right. Um, that's been my experience. And, and I think that um, my encouragement, again, getting back to this idea of holding uh, holding space for relationships and community is you can't spend much time around people experiencing homelessness without catching compassion, but also, and I, I write about this in the book, catching a sense of like hope and joy. Um, and that to me is, was one of the most surprising aspects of, of doing this work, um, but that anyone who I know who has done this work for, for a while recognizes that um, without trying to glamorize the experience of homelessness or say that it's not not as bad, there there is something that happens within communities of people who are vulnerable. Um, there's a, a sense of community and solidarity and resilience um, that forms that uh, a lot of us who who haven't had to experience things like that uh, really miss out on, and and that I think we find and can sort of uh, catch secondhand a bit when we we get to spend time with uh, with those communities. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. I agree wholeheartedly with that's how stereotypes get broken down is to be around the people that you have those stereotypes about and be around more than one kind of person where those stereotypes have been fed to you. And and also just naming them out loud can be really helpful. And to suddenly, it's almost like when it stays hidden in our brain or in our bodies or our souls that somehow it just like festers in the darkness of all of that, but bringing it to light and just naming it. And then sometimes when you say it out loud, it just, you realize what a horrible thing it is because it's, it's (laughs) some of the stereotypes we have are just, it's unfathomable that any of us would believe it, but that's just the nature of what stereotypes are. They're, they're fed to us either through just sort of the oxygen that we breathe, the ocean that we swim in metaphorically speaking, or they're, they're actually told to us in those words, you know, um, or fed to us through the, the stories we tell ourselves. And so I think the stories, it can be so powerful because whatever your personality type is, a story can draw us all in. And so the storytelling of people experiencing homelessness, it, it centers them in the story um, instead of those of us who are helping or hurting, as the case may be. <laughs> um, but I think that the stories of those experiencing homelessness is, are so compelling. I've... Um, you know, Life Moves is an organization I just mentioned, and they have YouTube videos where they have every year they have sort of a breakfast where they raise funds and have different authors that come and speak. Um, the author of the book Educated spoke at one time, and then the Hill, Hillbilly Elegy author also spoke. These are real thought leaders who have experienced um, a life where they needed a break and then overcome with the help of others and that type of thing. And so Um, but then they'll often bring people that life moves has helped and they'll give them the microphone and they get to share. And I think so many stereotypes get broken down when you see those families and you hear their actual story. Um, and so, you know, I, I know that in the homeless community, one of the, you know, there's so many sub stories, right. But I, I know here in the Bay area, we hear a lot of veterans and the whole PTSD that often goes undiagnosed or untreated. And having worked in the tsunami in Indonesia 17 years ago, I know that anytime there were loud noises, my friends that had been through the tsunami, would their bodies would react to so those sounds and those noises. You know, on the one-year anniversary of the tsunami, people couldn't bathe because the body keeps the score in a way that, you know, we have a hard time comprehending sometimes. And so, but the experience of being homeless, especially if you have a child and you're experiencing homelessness, it's trauma all on its own. So if there's somebody who's been in Afghanistan or Iraq or Vietnam and their body's so triggered um, with PTSD, which we're more understanding about than we ever have, and then you also have the trauma of experiencing homelessness, it really can feel so overwhelming. I don't know if you've interacted with anybody like that or if you have tips on any of us as we're interacting with people that we see experiencing homelessness that might be sort of triggered and know how to be kind and more compassionate around that. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, I think becoming trauma-informed is is one of the most important things that, that anyone can do, learning that language, what that means, and and how it really can change your entire life. Like, I I learned it for my job, right? And But I saw my whole world and life differently. Um, so, uh, you know, I, when I teach trauma informed care, I often make a point that, that I've felt is really true that being trauma informed doesn't mean you 
you find out what someone's trauma is, right? And then try to respond properly to it. It's that really largely you just assume that people act out of trauma that you may never know or understand and that they may not even know and understand. Mm. Um, and you're right to call homelessness a, a trauma of its own. And we know that we know that trauma is a huge risk factor for homelessness. It's a risk factor for mental illness. It's a risk factor for substance use and all of those compound and become risk factors for homelessness. And so then on top of that, so people who first experience homelessness already have likely a lifetime of trauma and they are now entering sort of an endless traumatic space where um, their unboundaried life because they live it you know likely with nothing but a small sheet of plastic separating them from anything <laughs> that wants to come their way right um, people experiencing homelessness live in a sort of a constant state of fight or flight <laughs> mode right mm -hmm. their survival brain is always mm -hmm. on um, and I think, again, that comes back to why I think it's so important for uh, nonprofits, churches to offer people spaces uh, of community and safety um, so that people experiencing homelessness have opportunities built in to their week, preferably every day, where they can go somewhere and switch out of that survival mode. Uh, and just simply be in a different like mental and physical state. Um, and some people will use that time to, to seek help, to talk to people, and some people just need that time to decompress all on their own and sit in a corner and fall asleep somewhere where they know that when they wake up, their stuff's not going to be gone, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I think we we are so... We're so far from understanding just what it is like to have all your possessions and your body completely vulnerable at every moment. Um, and learning to understand that, I think, can help inform how we design the resources that are, are designed um, to serve, serve those people. And honestly, the best way to do that is to ask people <laughs> what kind of services they want. Um, and how they would design it. Um, we usually skip that step <laughs> of actually asking people what they want. We pre-decide what we think they want or really what we think they deserve, and then we offer it to them, and then we get mad when they don't take it. Wow, yes, that is so true. Having worked in international relief and development and after the tsunami and earthquake in Indonesia 17 years ago and all these NGOs from all around the world, many cultures, many languages, the UN even, which I was helping with as a liaison with them and the coordination efforts, and then even moving out of disaster relief into community development, one of the things that I found so valuable was uh, community development principles that I was trained in in the Philippines um, by some incredible Filipinos on this rural life development model in Mindanao. And one of the just gold pieces of information they gave us was when you go into a community, gather the community and let them tell you what they need. It, it seems so, <laughs> it seems so basic, right? But I think that especially for those of us who trying to do, are trying to do good work of when helping 
to, to not hurt when we help, but also who want to center the voices of those who are most impacted by the decisions that are being made. And then also sort of this decolonization concept that's really important for us, that we can come in as these, in my case, would be as a white savior because I'm, you know, I I'm present as a white person. That's my ancestry. And so um, trying to make sure that I don't come in as a person who has it all figured out for you. How, As someone who's never experienced homelessness, I need to listen more and I need to rely on those who are experiencing it to help me understand. I can have tools and handles maybe from other things that I could put into it, but I would never really fully understand it without listening to multiple homeless people experiencing homelessness. To, to speak into it. So thank you for that. That's super helpful. I hope everybody listening really takes that to heart um, and try to, to do that hard work of not centering yourself and the and the person doing the giving. If you've ever been on the receiving end of somebody who gave you something that wasn't helpful and then they get mad at you, it's, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> so yeah. none of us wants to be that person. Any more tips around that that would be helpful for us to understand as we're trying to be helpful? I think I think I've covered everything that comes to mind. I just I would just continue hammering those same points home that yeah, like you said, we uh, we have to we have to design services that uh, whether it's systemically or just individually that that meet the actual stated needs of of people uh, who we're attempting to serve, and I think that you know, really let any way that we can level that playing field and prevent saviorism, right? That um, ultimately comes from a very paternalistic idea of the world that I, I have something to offer to you graciously out of my privilege and out of your vulnerability that sort of maintains this hierarchy where I'm still always above you. Right. I think, I think that's what, um, a thoughtful Christian or a religious notion can really do is, is undermine that idea of, you know, of that ranking of that, of that top down understanding, you know, leveling people as, as humans, as children of God. Um, we, we have to start, start there rather than start from a, I'm, I'm better than you. I'm more blessed than you. Let me, pull you up to my level, right? Um, that, that's not, that's not helpful. That's not human. That's, that, that's capitalism talking. That's not, yeah. uh, that's not Christianity talking. Yeah. So true. Yes. And, um, that's a whole other podcast we could probably oh, yeah. do is how capitalism plays into that and how it gets into at least the American um, U.S. version of Christianity so often because it, it's so clearly tied in ways that it shouldn't be and has, you know, largely throughout our history. I had Dr. Paul Miller on a couple of weeks ago when talking about his latest book on Christian nationalism. He's at a Georgetown University and how some of that has always been a part of our history. And it's hard to separate for um you know, people who've lived in this nation for so long and only seen it through that lens. But I think we only get better when we 
invite the global church and other faith-based spaces, our Jewish friends, our Muslim friends, our Buddhist and Hindu friends. When it comes to homelessness, this is a crisis that affects humanity. And, and so it is important to have all those voices speak into it because all our perspectives are different. You know, I lived in Singapore for a long time and you really just don't see people experiencing homelessness there. The government just handles it in a completely different way. And in the Bay Area, it couldn't be more opposite because you do see it everywhere. And so the, the way governments handle it, it, it's just all of those nuances really, they really matter in the conversation. So I think that the more diversity of perspectives we can get around this, the better we're going to get at solving it. It is a it is a global situation, even if it's slightly different in every nation. I would love to leave people with not only how to find your book, which I hope people grab and then you get to do a second printing for the rest of us, but, um, but also um, just where can people find your writing and the stuff that you're going to be producing going forward? How can people find you? Yeah, the best way is my website, which is kevinmnye.com. Um, I have links to where you can buy my book there and I'm updating them for when things sold out it'll, you'll try to click on it and it'll say it's sold out go here instead uh, but yeah there there will be more printings that'll it'll it'll keep being printed as long as people want to buy it so don't uh don't don't let somebody scalp it for a thousand dollars to you <laughs> just just hold on a little longer um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just follow me there. I'm on social media, uh, especially Twitter. Twitter's kind of my jam when it comes to social media. The others I do more for out of obligation than out of joy. Yeah. Uh, but I'm on Twitter at, uh, at KevinMNye1, uh, and I'm also uh, at Instagram on the same handle. Awesome. Well, we'll link all that in the show notes for people to find you. One last question I want to end with you about is because a lot of us listening to this podcast around the world are givers and we like to not only give with our money, but we like to give with our time. And some people would be like experiencing time poverty, we would say, because you just get so exhausted giving and giving and giving that there's not a whole lot left of you. And so what are ways that you continue to stay healthy for yourself um, and maybe advice that you have for people listening around the world who just, who, who feel compelled constantly to be on helping others and um, why it's important to care for ourselves as people who love to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like I just immediately want to launch into what I uh, train folks on when I, uh, when we first onboard anybody, it's, I do a boundaries training because um, mm -hmm. it's so crucial that the people that are drawn to this work, are the people who want to give and give and give and who feel a strong sense of the world being unjust and their, uh, their need to participate in, in changing that. Right. Um, but what I try to hammer home and in that training and from every day onward is that, uh, we have to say no to a lot of things if we're going to say yes to what matters. Um, and sometimes that means, uh, for some of us who like to have a really full life um, outside of work, you know, sometimes it means saying no to staying up late to watch another movie so that I can say yes to getting enough rest to to wake up the next day. But but also in even within the the work and this compassionate and justice work, uh, it sometimes means saying no to some types of work so that we can actually say yes with our our whole hearts and our whole energies 
to the things that we have decided to do. Um, for every nonprofit and organization uh, knows this because people people will show up at your door and at uh, on your phones asking for things that you don't quite do and you feel such a strong sense of people are coming to me for help. Um, but recognizing that capacity and budgets and energy means that we we have to say no to some stuff or else we won't end up saying yes to anything. Uh, I tell I tell anyone that, that works with or for me that uh, if we all worked 24-7, seven days a week, from now until whenever, we would still not end homelessness with just us, you know? So we might as well decide uh, to be thoughtful and strategic about what our boundaries are so that we can keep showing up fully uh, every day for, for the time that we're allotted to do that. Great advice. All of us experiencing the different crises of multiple levels and um, all over the world listening, whether it's experiencing homelessness or the pandemic, which, oh yeah, that's still going on. <laughs> um, civil wars and, you know, the war in Ukraine. There's just, there's so many issues facing our globe today and it can feel overwhelming to a lot of people. And so thank you for that word about uh, boundaries to just take what's ours and do our best going forward and realizing we're linking arms with others and the burden isn't all on our shoulders that we're we're doing this work together and that somehow together we're making a difference by joining forces with others and, and knowing that we're not alone. It's not all up to us. But thank you for the great work you're doing, for lending your voice and writing this down for us, for us to read, um, to learn, to get better. And I do hope people reach out to you and follow more of your writing and your work. Well, like I said, link all that in the show notes. And just thank you so much for being on today. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you today. Of course. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for me too. Kevin Nye. Wow. I'm really excited to have this book offered to each of you because if you can get your hands on it before the last few stores seem to sell out of it, um, but hopefully they'll end up doing another printing as well. This seems to be one of those books that when we read it and we come together, and I would love to hear your perspectives on our Facebook group. As always, we have a community there where we like to discuss these episodes and once again, coming together around the tables, how we get more innovative ideas, how we can hear each other's perspectives, what's working, what's not working, best practices on a global scale. That's what this group is for. And I really appreciate each of your perspectives. Kevin Nye has given us such a great gift today, his experience of working with people experiencing homelessness in the Los Angeles area in Hollywood. Now he's got new experiences in Minneapolis and he's pointed us to resources of people doing great work in the Nashville area. I'd love to hear around the world what different people in different urban areas of our globe are experiencing. What What is the situation like in Melbourne and Sydney? I'm familiar with some of the situation in Singapore and how the government and the nonprofits and different services there are handling the homeless situation. But I know there's internally displaced peoples all throughout the world in the war zone in the Ukraine and in war zones that are happening in multiple areas of our globe that, that cause homelessness temporarily due to disaster and, and other issues. So I would love to hear your perspectives. If you're someone who is experiencing homelessness or has experienced it in the past, please share your perspective with us. We want to listen. We want to center your experience and your voice in this situation. 
And if any of you have books that you recommend outside of what Kevin has also written and told us about today, we'd love to hear those too. Let's have this discussion. It is something we're probably not going to solve in the next year. (laughs) It's going to take a lot of us working hard together, bringing in um, different places around the world, what's working, what's not working, and, and showing what we have seen be successful and what's really just been a kind of a mistake that we've learned from. That's how we get better together. Please join us with our Facebook group to discuss this with us. We would love to have you there. You can, of course, also follow on social media, our Facebook page. We post about the episodes there and on our Instagram page and on Twitter. And uh, you can follow me also on LinkedIn or I post some things there. But I love, I just love hearing your perspective. It helps me get better, helps me think more deeply. And we can ask questions that will spur us on and sharpen each other. It is such a huge issue to help solve the homeless crisis together. And I know that even the steps we take today will take a while to have the effect that we want them to have in certain systems because the systems aren't perfect. So many of them are broken and either need to be dismantled or repaired in a significant way. And I know many of you are thought leaders and care deeply about making a difference around the world. That's why you're here. And that's why this community is so beautiful. Thank you so much for listening. A big thanks once again to Kevin Nye. Please check him out on his socials and and check out his book and let us know what you think. In the meantime, thank you for making a difference wherever you are. I really appreciate this community. And you give me smiles on a daily basis when I see the things that you're doing around the world. So let us know about it. Let us know what's going on and and join us in our Facebook group. We'd love to have you out there. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. As we're finishing this episode, if you're thinking, I really wish I could learn more or go a little bit deeper. Well, that's what our Difference Maker community is for. I would love to welcome you in to join the rest of us there. Once again, um, it's only $5 a month to join the price of a latte at your local coffee shop. You can join at our Changers tier. Difference Makers is a community that really means so much to me. It's very special because each time I have a guest on the show, I record something um, outside of what we give to just the regular podcast audience where we go a little bit deeper and then I post those video episodes in this community and we can discuss them. But also at the very... uh, beginning tier, which is our changers tier of this community, you'll get exclusive voting power and help pick podcast topics that give us, you know, more of what we want from your perspective. You'll have access to exclusive um, 30 plus mini-sodes that aren't out there for the general public. And you'll get every month an exclusive monthly bonus mini-sode. At our Groundbreakers level, which is $10 a month, you can join and get all of that, but also priority access to submit questions to the podcast. And you'll get an additional two exclusive monthly bonus mini-sodes. And at our Trailblazers tier, which is $15 a month, the price of three lattes a month, um, you can get all of that plus also three exclusive monthly bonus minisodes um, and a patron shout out. So I would love for you to join us at any of those tiers. Um, It'll help you come into this community, be in the midst of all of us, other difference makers, and we'd love to hear your perspective. I certainly would. It's a place to engage more with me and the audience around what you like, what you're resonating with, and once again, go deeper with each of our guests. So please join us in this membership community. I would love to hear your perspective and love to share this extra content with you. So show up at patreon.com slash a world of difference. 
save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.